amazing. Thank you, guys. Really, that was amazing. Okay, so I have a little visual going on here. So two jars, and I have some big rocks and little rocks, and then I have this sand here. So I want you to think of the big rocks as absolute necessities in life. These are The big rocks are absolute necessities. You can't live without these. Okay, so think of those, whatever that those symbolize. The smaller rocks, they're not absolute necessities, but they're very important parts of our life as well. And then the sand is everything else. Okay? So, if I take my life, my jar, okay, and I put in these big, well, that, that big rock, actually, that, that one can't go in. Don't worry about that one. I take these big rocks like this. These are the absolute necessities of my life, and I put them in here. Okay? Then I can add some of the very important things in life as well. After necessities. And then I can add the rest of this. this the rest of this stuff in life. And it all goes in quite nice, see? And I can get this all filled up and I have the essential necessities, I have the important things, and I also have a lot of the other stuff as well. Okay? Now, if I take it like this, however, and I start with this stuff, and I put the sand in and all these other things in life first, And I want to thank Matt Van Dyne for doing a construction project right now. It was easy to get all these things. So, and I just keep filling it up with this sand and all the other parts of life. I know I could have went with smaller mason jars, but then there wouldn't be this uncomfortable silence that you're sitting through. And that's a very important part of church, uncomfortable silence. So I get this filled up with all this other stuff, and lo and behold, I have no room for the essential things. No room for the important things. Order matters. Order matters. So, and I think this is one of the most important lessons Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples and ultimately to us. And one of the most important ways that he said this, I'm just getting so blind that i got to get that further and further away from me. One of the most popular ways that Jesus talked about order matters is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Unfortunately, I think this verse is so popular. You know, we've just heard it so long. We even have a song that goes to it. Some people think it was a song, but it's actually a verse that, that turned into a song. And also, I think we've often been presented it and we read it like we tend to do with scripture as as this imperative, as this conditional thing we do with God, where if we're good to him and seek his thing, then he'll give us all these blessings, right? But what if that's not it? Like we're discovering about scripture, scripture is indicative, it's not this imperative thing. And, and what if that's not it at all? What if it's just the order of life? It's just the order. It's the order. It's the only way life works. 
Order matters. And I think when it comes to being to live life to the fullest, life the way we were created to live it, we have to come to terms with this order. We have to come to terms with this order. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking specifically about living this full, this transformed life. We, we've actually been talking about that for eight years since Canaan began. But in this shorter series, this immediate series we're in the middle of this summer, we started a few weeks ago on Family Sunday. And that's when we were talking about loving the least of these. And we made those care kits that I just referred to during announcement time. And, and these care kits are the poor in our society so we could practice in tangible ways living out authentic love. And then a couple weeks ago at the retreat, Rich led us into a deep discussion about getting busy living. Getting busy living regardless of circumstances. Sort of like that amazing song that we just listened to. Getting busy living regardless of circumstances. See, this is what Christ in us does. He helps us live like Him. He lived full of hope and joy, even though He was known as a man of sorrow, and even though His circumstances were mostly horrible. But that's because He was focused on His kingdom. And His kingdom is a kingdom of loving others. And then last week, we looked at the prison that is self-absorption if you were here last week with us, and how the freedom God offers us is based on this selfless approach to life. This other-centered life and altruistic life. So, the way Jesus most perfectly summed up this abundant life is what he called the greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. At Cana we call this the Jesus Creed. Love God, love others. And on a side note, I need to give credit to Scott McKnight, because if you weren't here eight years ago when we started, Cana, this is just, the Jesus Creed is, I borrowed this from Scott McKnight. He wrote a book called The Jesus Creed. I recommend it for everyone. It's fabulous. But we call the, the great commandment, the Jesus Creed. Love God, love others. Now, what is so interesting about this commandment that Jesus gives is he was purposeful in the order. Notice the order. Love God precedes love others. And interestingly, this is exactly how God himself, when he first gave humanity the secret to an abundant life, he explained it with the same order. So he gave us ten commandments towards this abundant life, and if you notice, the first three are about loving God. Love God. The fourth one is loving God and each other, and then the last six are loving others. There's an order. Order matters. Order matters. Love God, love others, seek ye first, order matters. And so today, I want to talk about this first part, loving God, for if we can come to terms with this, I really believe, I really believe we will find that living out the second part, loving others, is actually possible. Very possible. And that's why I chose this story this morning, the Martha and Mary story. For... It is really about order, the order of right relationship. And if you've been at Cana long enough and you hear me say right relationship, the word that probably should pop into your mind is righteousness, right? We're discovering righteousness means right relationship according to Scripture. This is a story about order. See, consider the story in the greater context where we find it. Just before we, we have this story on Ma Ma Mary and Martha... There, Jesus is talking to this lawyer who knows that the greatest commandment is life. 
but he tries to catch Jesus in this and saying, well, who is our other? Who is loving our other? And so Jesus talks about, the, he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan to, to, to explain what loving others is. This is to help us understand what loving others is. And then Luke immediately then comes back and places this story there. Remember, the Gospels, like most of the books in the Bible, are amazingly you know, brilliant pieces of composition. And so Luke purposely places this story right there because here now Jesus is explaining what loving God looks like. Okay? So in context, we know this story is about order. Now, by the way, I want to make a side note here. For those of you and us, me included, that have often been disturbed by a simple reading of this story in which Martha seems to be chiding, I mean, Jesus seems to be chiding Martha for working for working hard. You know, you can get that out of a simple reading of this story. Maybe even when Jesse was reading it, you were like, oh, Martha and Mary, I don't want to hear about Martha and Mary. I, I get it. Because then what happens is, in the surface reading of it, then we feel chided by the pastor for not being like Mary. Right? And you go away and you're like, wow. And we just got chided for not finding balance in our lives. Like, as if most of us can find balance in our lives. When from the time you wake up in the morning until you go to bed at night, there are bills to pay, there are kids to feed, some of us have diapers to change consistently, there's night feedings, there's bills to worry about, there's sickness to get over. Who can find balance? So, it's crazy. So, I want to invite everyone this morning to let go of that simple reading of Mary and Martha, simple reading of Mary and Martha, that's for the 1% of the people in the world that have a perfect life, Okay, and then the 99 rest of us percent that that reading doesn't make sense to. And I want to invite you to understand this at a far deeper level of understanding that Jesus is teaching about what loving God is. And it is order that matters. Order matters. There is no right and wrong between busy and not busy. There is no balance to find between work and rest. Again, I want to be honest. Some of us don't have the luxury of rest due to life circumstances. Some of us don't have that. But there is order that I believe we can discover in loving God first and then being able to live loving others regardless of circumstance. Order that gives us a full life. Now, the hardest thing about this, though, is we talked about this last week. This is a paradigm shift of thinking. We exist serving self, right? So that's the king that needs to abdicate the throne and getting rid of the king is, is a really difficult thing. But when we can, when we can order our lives, I think we then find a full life is actually altruistic. It's loving others is what a full life is. So I think loving God begins with being open and available to him. Back to the story. This is what Mary in our gospel story this morning understood. Mary was open and available to Jesus. See, there's a key detail here in which can help us understand this idea of being open and available to God. Martha was distracted. Distracted. Martha's flying around the kitchen. Her mind is not on Jesus, the divine other, and it's not even on human others. Martha's mind was on herself. Me. Me, 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 me. Jesus, are you kidding? 
that I have to do this alone. It's all about Martha at this point. Self is always a distraction. Martha was distracted because she was completely focused on self. This is what we started looking at last week, this prison that we live in. Self-absorption is the enemy of relationship. Always. Always. Think of all your relationships that have problems. Self-absorption is the enemy of relationship. This is the human prison that the gospel seeks to free us from. Mary, on the other hand, was sitting at the feet of Jesus with her mind on him and not on herself. Now, don't underestimate this. Don't bring to this a 2016 American culture understanding of what's happening here. Because when you do that, it's easy to look at Mary and think she doesn't want to work in the kitchen and she's like, you're a teenage daughter home from college that <laughs> sits on the couch and watches Netflix and never helps her mother around the house or her father. That's not what's happening. And yes, Isabel listens to this and I will get a, a rough email from her, but that's just how politics <laughs> But that's not what's happening. And when we come to this, that's why we get this simplistic reading. Oh, Mary was just lounging at Jesus' feet. Listen, that's a beautiful parable for being open and available to Jesus. Because here's how much Mary wasn't thinking about herself. Enter their culture. She was abandoning every cultural norm to the point where she was making herself out to be a horrible person. In that culture, when guests came, the women made sure they had everything they needed, number one. And women didn't sit at men's feet and certainly weren't allowed to sit at men's feet and listen to them expound scripture. Mary wasn't thinking about herself at all here. She was being open and available to something bigger. Martha, on the other hand, was greatly concerned with herself. In fact, part of Martha's concern was... Oh my gosh, Jesus, what are people going to think about us? Mary's out here with the men, doing nothing? This is horrific on so many levels. But Mary didn't care about those issues. Why? Because she was focused on Him. That is relationship. Catherine Clark Kroger, when writing on Mary and the other women like her from the early church, wrote this. She is not ultimately defined by the excellence of the table she spread, but on spreading her heart open to God's word. I love that. And I want to make another quick side note, especially for all the women here who have labor or continue to labor under the idea that you have to be the perfect whatever. And I am sorry when Christianity has made you feel that way. Just, just take a picture of that. That is such a freeing quote. I just, I just, oh. Anyway. So, this is what loving God looks like, being open and available to Him. And this is why I played the opening video that I played. For those that weren't here, it was by a group called Jeff Cap for Cutie, and it was Possess Your Heart. And the, the main lyric is, you've got to spend some time with me, and I will possess your heart. I hear that song all the time, and every time I listen to it, I think of God talking to me. Just spend time with me, and I will possess your heart. Now, that goes to, I know what you're thinking, but David, you already said some of us can't spend time. No, being open and available in relationship doesn't need that, 
know I'm going against a, a lot here, but just try to think about this. Just take life. Sometimes we need the realities of life to help us understand why some teachings just sort of fall short. Listen, you can spend time with God in the midst of incredible busyness, incredible circumstances. I don't know if you heard or, or, or listened closely to when Bob and Karen prayed today. Bob and Karen are in the midst of a horrific tragedy and loss. And their prayer about how much they know God loves them, I mean, this is the song that was just sung, being lived out in the midst of it. And many of us have circumstances there's no rest from. So how do you then spend time? Well, being open and available. So when you're suffering profoundly, emotionally or physically, being open and available to God saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Hearing that. When we're in a horrible mess with another human being, hearing and being open, Tito, to God saying, love your enemies. Not ignoring that voice. This is what being open and available to God is. Being there. Those of us that can get our time, you know, in the morning, wonderful. Dave has a chance to hike the mountain. Fabulous. But not all of us can do that. But we can still be open and available. We can be other-centered. He will possess our hearts. And this matters, and here comes the big stuff. Okay, this matters because only in relationship with God can we possibly love others. I know that sounds so parochial, but expanded beyond our religion. That's why I love that song we sing, East and West, Your Smile Destroys My Religion. Listen, only in relationship with God can we possibly love others. Here's what St. John says. Here's how St. John says this. These are, these are some of the toughest verses in all the scripture. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. I didn't write this. This is not my commentary on Christianity. This is coming from our Bible. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. St. John continues. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. And he continues and he says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen sobering. Sobering. So, God is love, and apart from love, then, there is no love. We cannot love others apart from loving God, and if we do not love others, John tells us, then we must not love God. Sobering. We may have all the right doctrines, believe all the correct things, but if we do not love others. Think about this, people. Just think about it honestly. But this is why Christianity has developed so many different schools of theology. Because if this is true, oh my gosh, right? So let's get rid of all that love stuff. 
and let's just go back to doctrines and theology and propositional truths and being correct, and then we can call ourselves brilliant Christians even though we hate others. Or worse, just turn your news on today and find out the amount of people that are called Christians today. There are people being called Christians today that it makes me honestly wonder then what I am. And I'm not bragging or patting myself on the back. I'm simply saying, if Christianity is this, how do you identify people as Christians that are just nothing but people who hate? Hate, 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 hate. I get why people slide into legalistic Christianity. I get it. If you read scripture as imperative and as if-then and read it for propositional truth only and not as a total narrative of the love of God for us and God's love in us, I get how you slide into legalism. But it still makes me incredibly sad when I hear people say, oh, all that love stuff. All that love stuff. So here's what I think based on my understanding of scripture after reading it for over 30 years. Doing Christianity without love is like scuba diving without oxygen tanks. And it's not going to last long. And maybe it's not even scuba diving at that point. Alright, off of my soapbox. Let me relax a little bit here. So, how does all this work is the question. Well, here's the bad part. It's mostly mystery. There's no three steps, I don't think. But I think it's the mystery of relationship. We love God. We're open and available to Him. And His love then enters us. And through that love, we'll be able to love others. We'll be able to live out the Jesus Creed. Rich gave a great illustration of this at the retreat where he talked about thinking of God in us like our blood in us. And the heart pumps our blood through us and it keeps the oxygen going, keeps us alive. But then if we have things that create cholesterol and, and hardening of the arteries and then the, the blood slows down and then if we get blockages, it's really dangerous. Well, if the Holy Spirit in, is in us trying to get us to love others, trying to live the God kingdom, every time we assert self as God, what's happening? Our arteries are closing down and preventing this life in us from loving others. Okay? So, here's how Jesus explains it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, this is one of those statements that can be reduced so easily to an imperative and cause all sorts of problems. And this reduction is understandable because it flows from our tendency to make God in our image. We make God in our image. That's why we say God's on our side when we're killing people. Okay? That's what making God in our image is. We like to kill people, therefore God must like to kill people. And then we read the Bible and say, see, he loved to kill people without understanding a much bigger narrative of the Bible. So, I, someone take the soapbox away because I can't keep getting up on this. If my wife was here, she'd be in the back. Get back to your nose. <laughs> oh, man. So, but here's what happens. We put all sorts of conditions on love, don't we? On relationship. It's just what we do. That's how we love. And we assume God does the same thing. So then we read this verse as if God is saying, like we often say, well, prove you love me by doing what I want. Right? And, and this is understandable. We learned this from an early age. Our parents who want us to prove our love by being quiet, by stop crying, 
by getting good grades, by doing this, boom, boom, boom. And then in teens, we learn this in the backseat of our cars by all those jerks that say, if you love me, you'll do this. And then we enter into very conditional marriages, and then we start to cycle all over again with our own. But I don't believe that's how love works, and I don't believe that's how God loves us. See, a God who dies, and this is why I believe this, I didn't make it up in my head, I read the Bible. A God who dies for his own creation, when that creation doesn't even care, cannot possibly have conditions on love. Where's the condition on that? Don't confuse receiving God's love with a condition. Best illustration I've ever heard, Capon, love it. If I bury $8 million in your backyard somewhere, you are now a millionaire. If you never dig that $8 million back up, you'll never be able to live like a millionaire. But I buried it in your yard. That's the best example. But that's not a condition. You just got to go and dig it up. God loves it. If we choose to receive it or not, that's a different story. But don't make that conditional. Don't make that imperative. So, what I believe in the original Jesus is getting at here, and, and to read it this, this way, if you love me, you will be able to keep what I command. And oh, by the way, you will choose to too. It's indicative. That's what will happen. Loving God then becomes an invitation to a life of loving others, to abundant life, free life. So, St. Paul wrote it this way. For Christ's love controls us. Christ's love controls us. And St. John again, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Again, that's not imperative, that's indicative. You can't not love others when you love God. It's like breathing in the open air. You can't not get oxygen when you breathe. It's amazing, this mystery. This is the beautiful gospel. If we are open and available to God, if we love God relationship, so if we put the greatest commandment at the center of our lives, then we'll be able to love others. So the greatest commandment is not only a destination, it is also the only way to that destination. And that's a big one. This is huge and it changes everything. This is a paradigm shift of understanding of Christianity. Christians are always talking about being obedient and leading holy lives. But I want to make a suggestion this morning. If we pursue holiness, we will not necessarily end up obeying the greatest commandment, loving God and loving others. But if we pursue loving God and loving others, we will become holy. And I think we will find that our holiness surpasses that of even the scribes and Pharisees. And according to Jesus, that's our holiness needs to look like that. So here's the deal. We can be Pharisees and scribes and not have anything to do with Christianity, or we can be Christians full of love and end up being better than Pharisees and scribes. It's unbelievable. And this is again why I get so sad when I hear people talking about why is it always about love with David? It's not always about love with David or with Cana. It's always about love with the Bible. You can't do this thing called Christianity without love. It's impossible. Like, like not impossible, like, it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. It's, it's the whole gospel. Without love, there is no pleasing God. 
without love, because with love that makes us, it's, it changes everything. And this is why order matters. So now we're, that's why I started with this, this little illustration. Order matters. Because if it is not God in his kingdom first, then that means it is ultimately us first. And when self is first, that's a nightmare. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, said, self-focus is the complete anti-God state of mind. Wow. But when we are pursuing loving God and loving others, self must go away. It must be surrendered. Relationship is being open and available. That requires surrender of self. Relationship says, what do you want? Not, what do I want? And at that moment of surrender of self, of being open and available to God, redemption comes. A new person is born, and that person wants to love. And in loving, the law will be kept. Remember, Jesus said, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. Last little thing to help us sort of just start this paradigm shift for us. Think about lawlessness for a second. What does lawlessness ultimately do? It hurts others. Lawlessness ultimately hurts others. Love of others then prevents lawlessness. It's a great mystery, but it's blazing reality. St. Paul said it this way, and here's another one of these verses that should be... Oh, that was when Jesus said, sorry, I was behind. We're supposed to be better than the Pharisees and scribes. That was that. Okay? This is Paul. This, this needs to be in everyone's heart and mind. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Don't narrow this down to fellow Christians, please. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So, I want to say my little illustration again. Doing Christianity without love is like scuba diving without oxygen tanks. St. Paul said that, not me. There is no Christianity without love. Without love. The greatest commandment, then, is not even a commandment at all. Just like the Ten Commandments weren't commandments. It's an invitation to live life the way it was meant to be lived. And it is also a way to accept the invitation to live life the way it was meant to be lived. It's beautiful. Seek ye first... It is the order of life. Order matters. God desires our love. That starts with our openness and availability to Him all the time, busy or not, harsh circumstances or not. Thinking about Him, talking to and about Him, listening to Him. I've been too long, I'm not going to step up again. But listen, right now more than ever as Christians, we need to be listening to Him, not to the noise. Because there is a lot of noise out there. And we would do very well in these next 15 weeks as Christians to listen to Him and focus on His kingdom. And when we start there, we will find He will possess our hearts, and then in that relationship, He will help us fulfill the rest of the great commandment to love others. And as we love others, I am convinced 
only because maybe for five seconds out of my 52 years, I have truly loved others, and I have discovered this to be true. It's abundant life. It is abundant life to love someone unconditionally and altruistically. It changes everything. And like with Mary, when we choose life, it will not be taken away from us. Amen. David and Ruben are going to help us sing Seek Ye First together. And I know we're, we're, we're not always that kind of community that sings, but I want us to sing. Try to sing. I, and I'm a horrible singer, but I'm... Just, just, just let, let this song just...